0: Psalm 66, learning uh, how to praise the Lord in our prayers. Um, This past week in our daily devotional, I gave some encouragements why we must pray and started teaching how you should pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, didn't he? Matthew chapter 6. Learning to pray, uh, the different aspects of prayer, is important because we need to understand Prayer is not just asking the Lord for something. There are many different aspects that should and must be a part of your praying. The hymn writer, uh, Isaac Watts, wrote this hymn that's on your sheet there. And he wrote a, a book called A Guide to Prayer or A Means to Prayer or something. I can't remember the exact title. Call upon God, adore, confess, petition, plead. And then declare you are the Lord's. Give thanks and bless and let, well, amen, confirm the prayer. When we've sung this here, we've always sung it to uh, Jesus shall reign. And when you're singing and you get to that word amen, you don't make it a long A, you make it kind of a shorter A, so you let amen confirm the prayer. It reminds me growing up in the Christian Forum church that I attended as a young boy. We'd get to the end of a hymn. As you grow up in these kind of churches, you get to that last little bit there, and oh man, okay. I grew up singing that way. Um, that's the idea here. So, call upon God, His name, the names of the Lord, adoring Him, praising, honoring Him, confessing, confessing our sins. Yes, but also the fact we are creatures; He's the Creator. We're entirely dependent on him. Petition and plead. Yes, there is the asking, asking God to work, asking God for help and grace. Declaring you are the Lord's. This is the idea of surrendering, of dedicating yourself. Lord, I am yours. You've created me. You saved me by Christ's blood. I exist for one reason, and that's for your glory to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, to bless him and praise him. And then it says, and let, amen, confirm the prayer. That little word, amen, that we always close our prayers with, do you understand why you say that, what it means? It is, yes, uh, I make it so, Lord, do this, but it is also you're committing yourself to everything that you just prayed. Make it so, Lord. May I live my life so that it is working towards what I prayed for. How do you learn how to pray? How do you learn how to pray? Pretty much like everything else, you learn by doing The church also, we have our times of gathering here where the church prays together. Sometimes it's one prays and we all pray together. Others it's we're we're praying together in a public way, or we break up for prayer together. And then by scripture, we learn from God's word how we should pray. No one can make you pray. I can teach you and your church can encourage you, but no one can make you pray. What I can do and what I hope to do today from Psalm 66 is to help you understand these aspects of prayer. And in Psalm 51 this afternoon, we'll look at the uh, the concept of confession in prayer. We're going to look at every aspect of praying except for the petitioning and the pleading. I'll hit that one on, on this coming Wednesday. Okay. When you learn how to pray and you learn what to pray, you know what that's going to do? It's going to help you get your mind off yourself. And when you pray, you're praising the Lord, you're thanking the Lord, you're blessing the Lord, you're submitting to the Lord, you're confessing to the Lord. Who's the one you're praying to? Who's the one you're praying about? It is the Lord. It's going to help you direct your attention to him rather than things, rather than what you're feeling. It's going to teach and train your mind to think like Jesus. Psalm 66 is a prayer. Look at verses 19 and 20. He said, certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. And in this, in this prayer of praise, God's name is called on. It is just jam-packed with items of praise and adoration. There's confession and dependence on God, verse 9. And there's surrender and dedication to the Lord, in verses 13 to 15. Let's look first at verses 1 to 4. Praise God for who He is you can pray this psalm. Praying God's word is praying for God's will, and we are supposed to pray for God's will, aren't we? First John 5, verse 13, 14, 15. We're supposed to do that. So what specifically about God should we praise him for in our prayers? Number one, praise God for, your blank here is his heavy Name, yes, you heard that correct. Praise God for His heavy name, H E A V Y. Verses 1 and 2 Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth, sing out the honor of His name, make His praise glorious. We're going to spend quite a chunk of time here because what does it mean to praise? To praise publicly as we sing, to pray in your praying. Yes, even to sing in your praying. You can do that. You're singing to whom? To the Lord in your praying. So I have some different things we need to see here. What's involved? Well, first of all, the what? There's shouting and singing. Singing is the language of our hearts. That's what singing is. It is the language of our heart. Your heart must not determine how you praise the Lord. Your heart must not determine what you praise the Lord. Because you're not the subject of praise and singing. You're not the object. You don't sing to yourself, do you? We are singing to whom? Our heart is responding to truth about God. And that's what singing about God must be the response of a spirit-controlled heart to truth that God has given. How should you sing? Joyfully. The next point there. Joyfully. This is the idea of delight, happiness, pleasure, and joy. Joy is the Holy Spirit's produce. That he grows in your heart as you believe and follow him. I put it in a different way that we're used to we say joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the produce. Think a produce stand, okay? Joy is the produce that the Holy Spirit grows out of you as you are trusting and believing and following Him. This is important. This kind of God-pleasing joy is not an emotional response to external circumstances. The kind of joyful singing that praises the Lord can happen in a prison when you're beaten and alone like Paul and Silas were in Acts 16. They sang with joy. There is nothing, as it were, joyful or encouraging about their circumstances But they were filled with the spirit. They believed in him, and so they sang with joy. Joyful praise from your heart. It shows where your treasure is. It shows who you love. Who should you praise? To whom? It is God. It is God. Any birthdays coming up? I can't remember whose birthdays are when here. You're looking forward to your birthday? When you gather, when your family gathers for your birthday, and they have maybe a dessert of some sort, and they put some burning things on that dessert, and they bring it into you, and they say what? Happy birthday. You know what? Let's do something different. If it's your birthday, let's do this. Instead of singing happy birthday to you, let's sing happy birthday to someone else. Even though it's your birthday. You'd say, no, that's not right. Because why? It's my birthday. This is my time. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Yes, sing it all together now. Happy birthday. Oh Boy, this is getting kind of self-centered, isn't it? To whom are you to sing? Who's the focus of your joyful prayers of praise? It's not to me. And it's not for the experience of whatever. We are praying and praising who? It's not about us. It is about God. Who is to praise? It says, all the earth, end of verse one. No exceptions of this expectation. All the earth. Why? There are no exceptions. All creation are his benefactors. They receive anything good they receive. It's from whom? It's from the Lord. And that includes you. Declare with joy to God, The honor of his name, that is the what, the honor of his name. The basic idea of honor and glory is that of weight or heaviness. And so we finally get to the blank there. And you might have been wondering, what is the point there? We praise God for his heavy name. Now his name talks about all that he is known by, all that he is known for, everything about God, And we are to proclaim, sing with joy, focus on him, the weightiness, the glory, the heaviness of his name. Here's the point. We are not talking about some light, flippant, trite, no big deal subject. We are talking about God who gives breath. God who causes you to continue to live. God who sent his son to die for you. That is who we are to praise. This is a big deal. This is serious. This is glorious. This is heavy. The highest position, the utmost reverence, the total respect. Driving home yesterday from West Michigan, we came down south, down 69, got on the turnpike in Indiana, went through Ohio. There was a point when I'm driving practically alone, even though there are four other people in my car. How was I practically alone? They're snoring. Well, they weren't snoring, but they were out. They were catching flies. Boy, I could have had them take some pictures. You know, just the embarrassing positions. So what do you do while well, you're all alone and everybody's sleeping? I can't turn on the news loud. I wake them up. So I watch people the best as I can while I'm driving. I love people watching. Just something about looking at people. I remember driving by uh, driving by one person looking over. you got to be careful because when you're looking over you don't want them to think that you know you're being weird or something like that. As I was coming up to this person, I was seeing this in the back. What in the world is that person doing? And I pull up this lady all alone in her car. I mean, completely alone. It was a bright green car. Can't, won't forget that. And she's singing away like this lady, pay attention to your driving. But she's, I can tell she's not. She's not quietly mouthing the word. She's, whatever she was belting out, she was belting out. Um, out of the top of her lungs. She was excited about something. She was really into it. Does that characterize our praying? Are we really into it? I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm trying to help us see Boy, we get excited about some things, don't we? We really get moved. Are you moved by truth about God and who he is? And in your praying, you must praise him for who he is. How are you supposed to do this? This brings us to the second point under number one. How are you to make his praise glorious? Verse three. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Number two, praise God for his incredible power. Praise God for his incredible power. Make God's praise serious of moments, of significance and heavy by acknowledging his actions. This is what you did, God. And that, I want you to get this, That is how you make his praise glorious, by saying this to God, not by kind of whomping worship up. This is how you make his praise glorious, by saying to God and saying amongst God's people, this is who you are. God's actions will be acknowledged, and as we read here, his enemies will submit to him. Lord, you are great. You are awesome. That is my response to as I consider what you've done. And you will make your enemies submit to you, and that brings great glory to the Lord. I didn't jump up and down. I didn't wave my hands and look like a wacko and a maniac. And by doing so, I brought God glory because it's not singing happy birthday to me. It's doing what? Praising him for who he is and what he has done and making it clear. Number three, praise God for the worship that he will receive. The worship that he will receive. Verse four, all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. This will happen someday, when on the face of the earth and Jesus reigns, everyone who is on the earth at the beginning of the kingdom will be trusting Christ. And the course, the end of human history is that there will be universal recognition of who God is and what he has done. Number two, praise God for what he does. Do these things in your praying, folks. Praise God for who he is. Number two, praise God for what he does. Verses five through 12. Verse five, number one, come and see the works of God. He is awesome and is doing toward the sons of men. You need to, number one, praise God that he helps his people. Praise God that he helps his people. He says, come and see. You are given material substance to recognize. And if you say, I just don't really know what to praise God for. You need to read your Bible more. See what God has done. We have all kinds of material, all kinds of substance, all kinds of facts and truth. We are just not using what he's given to us. That the better you know God's word, the better you'll praise him in praying. God acts in human history for his people's benefit. Praise him that he helps his people. Number two, praise God that he delivers his people. Verse six, praise God that he delivers his people. Verse six, he turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. This is talking about when Israel passed through the Red Sea. They left Egypt and they were in a hopeless situation. It was a hopeless situation that God wasn't caught off guard about. They were hopeless in Egypt. They were slaves, and they couldn't deliver themselves. But God, by his great power, caused those ten plagues to come upon Egypt, and he humbled them, delivered them, and God brought them to the edge of the sea, allowed Pharaoh and his army to come there. God orchestrated the entire situation for the praise of his glory, and we need to praise God for that—that that He delivers His people. This is not a myth. This isn't fiction. This actually happened in Israel's time. That was the greatest display in history of His work of deliverance. But since then, we have had an even greater display of God's power, and is providing and care for his people. What's that? What could be greater than delivering a nation from soldiers and through the Red Sea? By raising Jesus from the dead. Death could not hold him. And Jesus rose from the dead in the same body that he was buried in. Number three, praise God that he rules forever. Praise God that he rules, R U L E S, that he rules forever. Verse 7 He rules by by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Boy, politicians and dictators and judges and wealthy, powerful people, they think they really have the world by the tail, don't they? They think that they're invincible. No, they do not. God rules them. How did they get in that spot? God allowed them. God has put them there. Even a guy like Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had to recognize that. As you praise God in prayer for his eternal rule, you will not have a smidgen of fear about what's going on in our country. Concern, yes. And we pray that we'll have peace. But you do not have the tiniest bit of fear about what is happening, what could happen. Remember this, Christian. What did we read here? Verse 7. It doesn't say merely he will rule by his power forever, but what's the tense of the verb? Now... He rules now by his power. And so you have great reason to praise God because he rules forever. Praise God in your prayer that he rules forever. Number four, praise God that he shepherds his people. Praise God in your prayers that he shepherds his people. Verses 8 through 12. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. We read here that God protects. God protects his people in the worst situations. He protects his people in the worst situations. It says at the end of verse nine, he does not allow our feet to be moved or our feet to slip. The idea here is that of, Staggering, stumbling, tottering, wobbling. God provides great security for his people. He protects them. Christian, who does your protection rely on? Your protection always relies on the Lord, and so praise him for that. Next, verses 10 to 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. We see here, God guides. God guides his people through trials so that he will bless them, testing and refining to make them more like Christ so that they will praise him with greater uh, feeling and recognition. So think about this, Christian, when you are going through a trial or even if you're going through persecution, your persecutor, or the circumstance does not have the upper hand. You do. Because who is your God? Your God is the one who is in control of the situation. Did you read that here? You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have refined us. You caused men to ride over who's in control of the whole thing. The Lord is, and he allows that to happen, Christian, so that you will grow more like the Lord. You will know who he is and what he is doing. Christian, in your praying, you need to praise God for who he is. You need to praise God for his works and what he does. Number three, the third part of the psalm, you must praise God for his deliverance, verses 13 to 20. And we see that praise for his deliverance being made in two ways here. Two ways. First, praise God through personal commitment. Praise God through personal commitment. Let's read verses 13 to 15. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with a sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. When the psalmist was, as he says here at the end of verse 14, he was in a time of trouble. What did he do? He made a vow to God. He made a vow to God. Now, this vow to God wasn't a deal that he made with God. God, I'm having a really hard time. Let's make a deal. You bring me through this, I'll do this for you. That's not what was going on. A vow was an expression of faith, of personal commitment. Lord, I trust you in this time. And when you bring me through it, I will express my faith to you by offering you, by showing that I love you by this burnt offering, this burnt sacrifice. This was detailed in Leviticus, in, the, in Numbers. We have examples of it in many Old Testament books. We think especially of Hannah, remember? Hannah couldn't uh, get pregnant, and she vowed to the Lord. She wasn't making a deal with God. She was showing her faith and her trust in him. Christian, you must continually... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, Romans 12.1. You are not your own. He's bought you with a price, and you must continually vow yourself to the Lord. You're his. You must say, Lord, I am yours. And that's that aspect of prayer that... Isaac Watts put in his hymn, declare you are the Lord's. You are God's in your heart, your mind, your plans, the things that you own, your future. Lord, it's all yours. I lay it at your feet. Do with me as you will, because you are my God. Number two. Not only praise God through personal commitment, but praise God through your personal testimony. Praise God through your personal testimony. Verses 16 to 20. We see this personal testimony. He says, come and hear, verse 16, all you who fear God. I will declare what God has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Prayer from a pure heart is heard by God. Prayer from a pure heart is heard by God. He heard me. And let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what he did for my soul, he says. I extol him with my tongue. What about verse 18? I have heard many over the years say this is basically saying if you have just one Christian, if you have just one sin in your life that keeps you from fellowship with God, that is not what scripture teaches. And that is not what verse 18 is getting across. Verse 18 is saying this. It doesn't mean that you're without sin. Remember what John said, in 1 John 1 8? If we say that we are without sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Okay, anyone says he's sinless, he is what? Sinning. Because he's lying <laughs> and he's not saved. What is this saying then, verse 18? It's saying this, sin does not have a home in your heart. Your heart doesn't give up aid and comfort. It doesn't make, uh, it, it's not a comfortable place for sin. Because you love the Lord, you hate sin. Do you still struggle with sin? Yep, yeah, you sure do. First John 1 9. First John 9, 1 John 8. But you don't want sin to have a happy home in your heart. You don't just let it come in and take up residence and sit comfortably, much less open the door to sin, let it come in your mind, participate in it. That's what he's talking about. Matthew Henry said it in a way Way better than I can about this. Matthew Henry said, If I have favorable thoughts of it, if I love it, indulge it, allow myself in it, treat it as a friend and bid it welcome, make provision for it, and I am loath to part with it. I like this expression if I roll it under my tongue as a sweet morsel. Mm, that just tastes so good. Though it be but a heart sin that is thus tolerated and made much of, if I delight in it after the inward man, God will not hear my prayer. He will not accept it, nor be pleased with it, nor can I answer expect an answer of peace to it. So how should a believer respond to sin in their life? That's this afternoon's message. In Psalm 51, where we learn about confession. A Christian, when you joyfully praise God in prayer, the God of creation hears you. Think of that. The God of creation listens to you. He is paying attention to you. Wherever you're at, whatever you're experiencing. Some applications I'd like to make from this psalm. Number one, Your prayers must be filled with praise. Your prayers must be filled with praise. That is why God made you the way he did. He made you in his image a mind to think and to understand truth, a heart to love, a will to receive and obey. That's why God made you the way he did. And that's why God saved you by Christ's blood, so that you will willingly, joyfully, submissively respond. That's why you heard the gospel and believed in it. And that's what you're going to do in heaven. That is what you're going to do in heaven, Christian. Do not wait until then. In fact, I would say, if you're thinking, I'm just going to live my life all I want, I got my ticket punched out of hell, I'm just going to praise God when I get to heaven. I'm not going to do it now. You need to examine your profession. It's not looking very good, genuine right now. Praying a prayer and saying words, saying some words. does not result in salvation. Salvation is evidence. It's seen by a love for the Lord. Yeah, you're going to stumble and make your way, but you are growing more like the Lord, and you want to please him. You want to cry out. Number two, praising God focuses on truth from and about God. Praising God focuses truth from God and about God. God is the focus of praise, not you. What have been called the worship wars of the last few decades, we have to step back and say this isn't a recent thing. It's been going on all of human history. It really has. It's nothing new. But sadly, Christians forget this. Christians forget this. That praising God is to focus on truth. And He's supposed to be the focus, not us. It's not about our experience, it's not about our feeling, it's not about how we express ourselves. Am I saying those things don't matter? Oh, I'm not saying that at all. But our focus has to be right in order for everything else to be right. We learned how to make God's glory, his praise glorious, verse 2. We learned how to do that in verses 3 and 4, by saying to God. Here, I'm going to use a, a contemporary expression, okay? That I'm not really keen on, but I'm going to use it just because I think you've all heard it before. David led Israel in worship. He's leading Israel in worship right here. And how does he do it? He doesn't do it by focusing on sounds. He doesn't do it by focusing on sights and visual. What does he do? He leads Israel in worship by directing their minds and directing their hearts and directing their wills to statements God made of his truth. That's how he did it. He directed their minds, their hearts, and the wills to God's statements of truth. And I want you to see this. So let's go back to verse 1. So I want you to see that's what he does throughout the psalm. Verse 1, make a joyful shout. Verse 2, Sing. Verse three, say to God. Verse five, come and see. Verse eight, bless our God. Verse 13, I will pay you my vows. Verse 15, I will offer you burnt offerings. And verse 16, come and hear. This is what True prayer and worship involves directing our minds, our hearts, and our wills to God's statements of truth. And this isn't just Old Testament. Jesus said it in John 4.24 to the Samaritan woman. Worship him in spirit and truth. It tells us the believing heart responds to God's truth the right way. Start learning today how to do this in your praying. How? Pray the psalm. Pray with praise with the church body, and just keep going. Just keep going. Prayer is the response of our heart, and you learn how to do it. The disciples said, "Teach us to pray." Number four. Number three. God-focused prayers result in a God-focused life. God-focused prayers result in a God-focused life. This is one of the things I was meditating on while uh, folks were sleeping in the van yesterday. How often are we supposed to pray? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Is praying just asking? Does it involve asking? Absolutely. If we're supposed to pray without ceasing, you might say, I just don't have enough things to pray about. I mean, my list for things that I need is only so long. Is prayer just asking? No. Praying, praising, adoring, confessing, thanking, blessing. And if you're supposed to pray without ceasing, and that involves praising God for who he is, for what he's done, there is limitless content of that. Go through your day. Go through your day praying to the Lord about who he is. Some attribute of him. Something you've read in the Bible. How you've seen him work in our church body. In some way. Going through that. And what's your focus on then? Your focus is on the Lord. And that will help you in the day-to-day stuff. It'll help you in your business to have a God-focused approach to your business, a God-focused approach to your chores that you have to do, a God-focused approach to your school, if you're still in school right now. Unceasingly praying helps you to have your focus on the Lord. I asked a question last, number four. Are you despondent? Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Are you distracted? You need to learn and think on who God is and what God has done and talk to him about those things. Through your despondency, through your discouragement, through the depression, and that will help you see God as you should. And when you see God as you should, Guess what you're going to see? That experience that's causing you heartache, it's going to help you see it from God's point of view. It's going to help you to trust him more. It's going to help you to love him more. Let's pray.